Thank you, guys. All right, so uh, once again, welcome to the journey this morning. Uh, my name's Zach. I'm the communications coordinator here. And uh, also, I think since the last time I got to talk with you guys, I am now an exploring candidate for ministry in the United Methodist Church. So that really doesn't mean anything yet, but we're working on it. So anyway, I want to thank the support, you guys for your support and for this church for their support in that. Um, now, there's this thing where I'm on the stage, and so that means Jeff isn't. And so automatically everybody says, where's Jeff? And this week, I have a really good answer. Jeff is in Branson hanging out with his grandkids and his kids. So I can't think of a better place for Pastor Jeff to be. As a matter of fact, if you check Facebook and, and follow Pastor Jeff there, you'll find out that he's having a pretty good time. Dude's been to Silver Dollar City. I hadn't been to Silver Dollar City in forever, but he's out there rocking the log flume and what else. So, uh, but you guys know Pastor Jeff, right? Those of you who don't, you're about to find out something about Pastor Jeff. Everywhere he goes, no matter where he is, dude likes to fish. So we got a picture of what he's been up to at least one morning. He, he caught him a fish. So I think it's pretty apropos that here we are smack dab in the middle of the Gone Fishing series that Pastor Jeff really had nothing to do with naming, sure, right? And he's been hanging out fishing, and we got to check in with him on Facebook. So uh, I'm glad we're here. So like I said, we're in the middle of a series called Gone Fishing. That's where we're at today. It's week four of five. Next week, Pastor Jeff will be back, and he'll be wrapping up this series. So the scripture reading from today was from the book of Jonah, all right? And so that's where we're going to start our message today, while it's fresh in our minds. And let's take a look at how the story of Jonah unfolds, and we'll recap what we already read, too. You see, Jonah is a book that's found in the latter portion of the Old Testament. It's, it's in the section of the Bible that uh, we call the Minor Prophets. It's only four chapters long. But because it's considered a prophetic work, and the way that God talked to Jonah, he is considered a prophet. So we'll get into that just a little bit more in a second. But here's how the story goes. Here's how Jonah's story plays out. The text really says nothing remarkable about Jonah whatsoever. He doesn't say that he was an extremely wealthy man, or that he had any sort of power or importance or wealth. It basically just says he was. And so that's where we pick it up. Jonah has this calling from God. And he's not necessarily deserving of it in the way that some of us would deem it. I mean, he, he has no special qualities. He has nothing uh, that would say this guy is going to go do the work of the Lord. But I think if we look around the rest of Scripture, and if we look around our church here today— we find that there's a whole lot of people who don't have the skill set that God is using. So it can happen. So Jonah is called by God. Specifically, God calls Jonah to go into a city in Assyria, although Jonah lives in Israel. He, he's sent to this city in Assyria called Nineveh. Now, Jonah absolutely did not want to go to Nineveh. All right? He did not want to go there whatsoever. As a matter of fact, when he was told to go to Nineveh, he did the exact opposite. And the only way to do the opposite of going to Nineveh would be to go the opposite direction. All right, so dude did not just stay still and hide out. Dude ran away, all right? And he goes to the port city 
outside what is now modern-day Tel Aviv called Joppa. And he gets on a boat, buys a fare, and he hops on board. And he's headed for Tarshish. Say that five times fast. So while he's on this boat headed for Tarshish, which is thought to have been somewhere in modern-day Spain, nobody knows for sure, but it's pretty obvious that Spain and Nineveh are not anywhere near each other. So that's where he was headed, the furthest he could get away from Nineveh. And while on the ship, things get pretty rocky. Things take a, a terrible turn for the worst. You see, the sea begins to swell, and the winds begin to rise, and, and the boat's getting tossed around like a rag doll, and the, the crew is starting to freak out a little bit. All right, you see, the crew had done this before. They were seasoned sailors. They knew when the storms would be and when the storms shouldn't be. And this was not storm season. So when this storm blew up, they knew something bad was going on. So these sailors on this boat, they, they were more than likely uh, some sort of Phoenician religion. And, and so that means they didn't just have one god. They had a grab bag of gods. All right? And so when, when something would happen, you'd reach into your grab bag and pull out one and start praying. And so that's what they did. Each man picked their God, and they started praying. But guess what? Storm got stronger. Waves got higher. Winds blew harder. And they realized, hey, there's one person that's not praying right now. We're all praying. Where's Jonah? See, Jonah had already told them what he was doing. He said, I am on a mission away from God. I'm trying to flee from God. So they go down and get Jonah, who's somehow asleep in the hull of the ship. They bring him up and they say, what have you done, man? What have you done? And he tells them. He tells them the story. And so now that they're sure that he's the culprit, what do you think Jonah does? Do you think that he decides, okay, you're right, you're right, I'll go to Nineveh? No. In, in another act of just complete disobedience, he asked the shipmen, the sailors on the ship, to throw him overboard. Now, the dude does not want to go to Nineveh so bad that they threw him into the ocean while it was storming. I'm telling you, this dude did not want to go to Nineveh. All right? So he's in, he, eventually he talks him into him, they throw him in the water. And this is where the story gets kind of weird. And it, it takes a bit of a turn here, and it, it causes a little bit of controversy. So I just want to put it out there. There's no reason to leave the elephant in the room. See, what happens next in this story splits uh, Bible believers in two camps. One, the historical camp. Everything that's about to happen and everything that happened before in this story actually happened. This really happened verbatim. Then there's the other camp that will say, well, some of it may have happened, but parts of it are probably allegorical. They're just there to make a point and to get across a moral lesson. But what I want to say is that it doesn't matter which side you come down on. Okay, I don't care. I don't think God's going to care. But what I do want you to know is that whether you take the historical view or the allegorical view, you're going to come up with the same lesson. You're going to get the same thing out of this scripture. So let's get there. Let's get there. You see, what happens next, what causes this controversy is that as the storms calm and, and the seas die down, Jonah doesn't drown. He's swallowed up by a giant fish. I know. I know. He's swallowed up by a giant fish. Now, I want to add one more thing. 
when I was researching for this message, there was one guy who got swallowed by a sperm whale and lived for a couple of hours. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, there may be some precedent for this. So he's inside this fish. And for three days and three nights, he's inside this fish. And then the fish just spits him out on the dry land. Now, I'm going to assume he probably smelled terrible. But he was alive. He was alive. And he had just been through this crazy, wicked, weird experience. All right? I mean, who else but God could deliver you in that way? So you would think that, that, that he would be in some sort of, some sort of a, a repentant mood or, or in some way he was ready to worship. But again, God has to go to Jonah and say, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Bring them to repentance. Preach of me. Bring them to repentance. And this time, he obeys. Jonah goes to the city. He calls the people there to repentance. And as God had asked, and revival begins. And, and not just revival in the way that we think about revival, where in a city of Sykeson, say 17,000, where we get, you know, two or three thousand together. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But we get two or three thousand maybe together, and we get a big tent, and we hang out, and whatever we do. Not that kind of revival. I'm talking about the entire city, 100% success rate. Every single person repented and worshiped God in the way that they should. Every single one. Jonah was doing it. He was preaching. All right? He was getting it done. So, if you went somewhere and preached a sermon and everybody that was there repented and turned to Jesus, wouldn't you say, I done good? But that's not what Jonah did. No, 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 no. You see, Jonah is not joyous that his preaching was successful. He should be celebrating, but instead, he's lamenting God's mercy. He's angry at God for being too lenient on the Ninevites. So that was it. We've finally gotten down to the point. We've finally hit the nail on the head. You see, that was the whole reason that Jonah fled from God in the first place. That was the reason that he was running away from Nineveh to begin with. You see, Jonah, and mainly all other Jews, hated the Assyrians, and hated Nineveh especially. They thought of Nineveh as the most wicked, corrupt, murderous, plumb nasty city that God ever created. And they did not like it. They didn't want to be around it. And as a matter of fact, to make it even more personal, many Jews at that time, and possibly even Jonah, we don't know. This is totally speculation. But they would have had relatives that had been taken into slavery or murdered by people from Nineveh. So we understand why they didn't like them, all right? We get that. We get that. You see, because of all these atrocities that the Ninevites had, had perpetrated, Jonah didn't feel like they deserved grace. He didn't feel like they deserved to be saved. And now he was their messenger of grace. Talk about eating crow. But see, there, there was something inside of Jonah 
There was something inside of him that would not let it go. He could not get over it. Maybe it was pride. You could call it pride. Uh, uh, maybe you could call it uh, patriotic lunacy. I, I don't know. I mean, you could call it anything. But for some reason, he did not want these people to turn to God. You see, in order for Jonah to fully submit to God's will, in order for God's Spirit to totally take control of Jonah's life, something inside of Jonah had to die. For Jonah to fully submit to God, something inside of him had to die. So let me pose that as a question to all of us. All right, if you don't take anything else home, take this home, okay? If you get nothing else, remember this. Just think about this tonight. What inside of us, what inside of us must die so that God's Holy Spirit can flourish? All right, let me say it again. Think about this. What inside of us must die so that God's Holy Spirit can flourish? We'll push in a little deeper on that in a second. But this reminds me of a story. All right, uh, I was probably 15 or 16. I don't think I could drive yet, but my two friends that were with me, they were uh, a few months older. They may have been driving. We may have just been driving anyway. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, my friends Kenyon Wright and Ty Brown, we decided to go fishing. All right, and so some of Ty's family, his in-laws, had a, had a farm out in rural Stoddard County between Bell City and Advance that they called the Hill Farm. And there was a pond on there. Not a particularly well-taken-care-of pond. Uh, kind of the pond you'd expect to find in the middle of nowhere. And we decided we're going to go fishing. So we go and we gather up some jugs because we're going to go jug fishing. We take our Anybody been jug fishing? Raise your hand. It's like the laziest way to go fishing. All right, you take your jugs, you tie your string on there, you tie your hook to the other end of the string, throw the bait, throw the jug in the water, go take a nap. All right? It's really, really lazy. So that's what we did. We set out some jugs, and, and we went to, back to the bank, and we splashed around in the water a little bit, and maybe even went swimming some, and, and, and ate, and, and just hung out, talked about girls, whatever you do when you're 15. All right? We did those things. And so when we felt like enough of the jugs were doing the dance, that dance they do when they've got a fish on the end, we got in our boat, paddled out to him, grabbed the first jug. I mean, that thing is just, I mean, it's working it. It's bobbing. It's going. So we're thinking we've got a huge fish on here. I mean, I'm thinking whale. It's like a whale size. So we pull it out, and this is what was on there. A snapping turtle. All right. Thankfully, the alligator ones are going extinct. I'm sorry if you like animals, but those things are ugly. So, snapping turtle on the end of my jug. And I'm talking, this dude was this big around. He was a big one. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right. But I don't know if you guys know this about turtles or not, but when turtles eat, they eat. That hook was probably somewhere around here by the time we caught him. So there wasn't any getting the hook out. So we're going to take him to shore and see what we can do. Well, we're already out there, and we've got a few more jugs floating around, so we go over to the next jug. Pull it out. Guess what? Bigger turtle. Bigger turtle. By this time, we start to see the snakes that are kind of floating around on the bank. 
I'm seeing my life flash before my eyes. I'm thinking like Jeremy Wade river monsters and, and something's going to come eat us. We got to get out of here. All right? And so we go back to the shore. And, and I, I'm thinking about we were in that water and we were trying to catch fish, good, wholesome fish out of this pond. And all we saw were monstrosities and snakes. I don't even have a word strong enough for what those things are. And so here's, here's my point. Here's my point with that story. You see, the turtles had gotten inside the pond, and they had just taken it over. There were turtles everywhere. And, and the snakes just as bad. There was no longer a good way to get the things that we wanted out of the pond out. The things that we wanted to catch, the things that we were after, they couldn't find their way through. And let me tell you this. There are habits, there are rituals, and there are traditions that we all have, that we all have, that we have to catch and release. Maybe they're good for you for a time. Maybe that thing that you did 10 years ago was good then. Now, not so much. You've got to let it go. Maybe that thing, that cool new thing that you're thinking about doing, and everybody else is doing it, maybe it's not the best thing for you. You have to use some discernment. You have to catch some things and release them. So that is, to, to phrase that a different way, we have to find out what is inside of us that needs to be removed in order for us to be more like Jesus. So what does this look like? How do we begin to purify our hearts in, in this way, in, in, in any sort of manner? I'm going to read to you guys from, uh, from Malachi 3, 1 through 3. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. If not, I'm going to read it real quick. It's a short little passage. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. And here's what the New Living Translation says. It says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, who is Jesus, by the way, whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. All right. Have any of you guys ever seen how they purify gold? Any of you guys, maybe on how it's made or something like that, you guys ever seen how this works? All right, good. I had not either until recently. So I got this video. It's old, but the audio is what counts. So take a look at this video. All right, so in case you didn't hear that, he said that they heat the gold to 1,600 degrees Celsius. Now, for those of you who aren't fluent in Celsius, like me, I looked up what that was in Fahrenheit, and it's like 2,900 and something, but right at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, all right? That's hot. That takes a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. That's a big deal. So they melt it down. They heat it up to 3,000 degrees. And then they take the junk out. 
They take all the extra, the stuff that doesn't belong, the impurities. They take it out. Then they repeat it over and over and over and over until it's 99.99% pure. I have to say that that's not much unlike what God does to our hearts. See, He continually renews us. He renews us daily. And He removes the dross from our hearts. The extra. We just have to allow the Holy Spirit to do some work. So, Romans 12, 1 through 2, says it like this, all right? This is kind of how we get there. This is, this is kind of the, the path, the goal. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know that God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, we have to continually turn to God through Scripture, through prayer, and through Christian community and fellowship in order for us to have the Holy Spirit clean out our hearts. In order for the Holy Spirit to make us new. As we come to the close of the message and I ask the, uh, the musicians to come forward and as the ushers get ready for our time of response, I want to give us all a challenge, okay? I, I want to challenge us to do this as we sit here and reflect and as we move forward throughout our day. I challenge us all to look deep inside of ourselves. Look deep inside of your heart. Have the Holy Spirit earnestly search your soul. And find out what we are each hanging on to. Find out what we're hanging on to that needs to go. Find out what inside of you needs to die so that God's Holy Spirit can flourish. You see, like the refining fire that we saw with the gold, it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be pretty, it's going to be messy. If the Holy Spirit had a middle name, it would be messy. The things he does are not fun sometimes. The things that the Holy Spirit does are hard. But I promise you, they are making you new. They are making you pure. They are refining you like gold and silver. They are making you and transforming your hearts to be more like that of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you make us new, that you get inside of our hearts, that you do not leave us to ourselves, that your Holy Spirit continually works inside of us. God, I know for myself that where I stand today is an affront to what you call me to be. Lord, I, I don't even know how I can call myself a Jesus follower when your standards are set and I'm chasing after you, Lord. It's just so overwhelming to know that you love me anyway. God, I, I, can't, I can't hardly stand here and, 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 and finish this prayer thinking about how unworthy I am and how freely you give your grace. 
God, continue to make our hearts new, continue to change us and form us and shape us and mold us to become more like you, to become more like your son, Jesus Christ.